Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 256 of The Sausage Factory. Some could argue this is a bite. Some. Some could argue that. I'm not going to be one of them. In this episode, I talk to Carolina Torres, Brendan Sewell and Eric Franson of Eli Media about their game creation adventure game, The Endless Mission. Yes, you heard that correctly. Game creation... Yeah, kind of... Almost eats itself, but not quite. It's pretty amazing. But before we delve into that, let's hear what else is under Kano Rince's vast, vast umbrella. First we have Kano Rince itself on Mondays. This week they're dealing with Asteroids. Video game, not just the original, all the other games that followed it. I did not know there were that many that followed it, but I just personally love the original. The vector graphics, amazing. Uh, one of the fondest memories. So yeah. Listen to that if you want to hear about more about asteroids. And on Wednesdays we have Sound of Play, where we celebrate the scores. That's not ratings, but musical scores of video games. Do listen to that, pretty awesome. And on Thursdays we have Playwright, two people called Ryan, talking about games they invent based on the ideas thrust upon them by their listeners. Now if you find out more about those podcasts and have all of the archives to them as well, you can pop along to caneandrince.com. That is the only place you can find all of the archives because so much content has been made by Kane and Rince over the years that sadly they now have been trailing off and pushed off the edge of the cliff of iTunes and other sound recording podcast delivery services and such. So in order to get all the archives of all those shows, including this one, which is called The Sausage Factory, which is out on Fridays, by the way, but you knew that already because that's why you're listening to it now. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, you can get all the archives from, from caneandrince.com. Not only that, there's also podcasts about other things, videos. Um, there's also features that I've written, a few features. There's reviews, previews, and a lively forum. That's right, you can pop along to the Kane and Rince forum and have a bit of a chinwag about maybe the game we're going to talk about on this show or other things. The weather, maybe. Politics. No, maybe not. Bad idea. We also have a Twitch stream. Yes! We're on the streamings on Wednesdays. Wednesday? Friday nights we have MK Homebase streaming various snares and games of all sorts. Really good, really good streamer. Um, Very, very entertaining. Really knows his platformers. So, yeah, do have a look at that. Sunday mornings you have Darren Gargett 
streaming various stuff. He's doing the Sonic games at the moment. So that's fun. I never really completed any Sonic game. I've played quite a few of them, but it's never really, really gelled with me. Maybe there's something wrong. I don't know. And on Sunday evenings, 8pm GMT, that's me streaming various games on various platforms. Whatever suits my fancy. I don't know. Could be anything. This week, for example, I'll be streaming Avenger on the Amstrad CPC. For reasons. You know. Oh, and Darren, he streams at 10am on Sundays, typically. So, yeah. Do pop along to our Twitch channel. If you just go to twitch.tv forward slash Kane and Rinse, you'll find us there. Now, if you want to chuck us some coin, you can. We have a Patreon. Of course we do. The Patreon is an extraordinary thing. It provides monies to keep the fires burning that is Kane and Rinse. Give us one US dollar a month. Just one. Then you gain access to extra content. Not only get uh, early release of Kane and Rinse itself and extended editions no less not limited to two hours but it's extended out beyond that period which is great but also you get access to two additional things you gain early access to the platforming specials the the last one we did was on the Dreamcast and we're going to do a new one I can't reveal what that is quite yet but it's very interesting and I'm on it it's exciting and also um, there's the Monthly podcast was released by Jay and Leon, the founders of Kane and Rinse, and they talk about all sorts of things that happened over the last month, which is which is quite a bit of a banter cast, which is something you kind of steer away from. But no, you actually get a exclusive access to that. But enough about that. Let's move on to me or move past me to the past. I don't know. Chris, get us out of this mess. What do we just do the thing? Uh, Carolina, Brendan, and Eric, who are you, and what do you all do? Um, I am the Endless Mission producer. Uh, so, Brendan Soul, I'm the creative director for the Endless Mission. And I'm Eric Franson, the community and marketing manager for the Endless Mission. Welcome to you all. We don't often have many, many, so many, three, maximum we have three people. But we can manage it. We've done it before, everyone. You know that. Regular listeners will know. Um, so it's it's fine. It's great. It's going to be fun. It always is. So the next question to you all, and we'll do it in the order. I, I sort of read out the names there. But uh, And uh, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. Um, yeah. I think uh, for me it was almost like um, I, I bump into it. Uh, I started grad school and I, I wanted to actually be a toy designer. And I was very uh, like interested by the idea of play. And um, I started taking some classes and then I fell in love with gaming itself. And then after I finished grad school, my first job was at a gaming company. And I think that's been about pretty much 10 years ago so to make the long story short that's how i i got my start in gaming um you know at first it was really um games that were had were like social impact games and then i move on to a facebook game it was really in the 2008 2009 when they were really in vogue and then i make my transition into e-line around 2011 and uh, that's how I ended up 
here. Yeah, nice little potted history there. Brendan, <laughs> Brendan, yes. please, please enlighten us. How did you make your start making flashy lighty video games? I call them that, by the way, just to differentiate that from, from board games, which I also play a lot of. So I just have to, something in my brain, I have to slice them in half. <laughs> <laughs> So I got my start actually at the intersection of two different passions that I had had growing up. Um, I had been doing hobbyist game development for a while, getting started with things like uh, creating maps for the original Half-Life, um, doing some light modding here and there. When I was in college, I was leading a game development group um, that was both run and participate in by students there. Um, but I hadn't actually ever considered up to that point a professional career in game making. Um, so what I went to university for was cognitive science is kind of the intersection of psychology, neuroscience, artificial intelligence, and learning science. Um, and I was just really fascinated on how the human brain works um, and the theory of consciousness. But I ended up as just as I was graduating, um, intersecting with a professor that was actually combining the intersection of those two things, where he was making educational video games, not actually exclusively just for the purpose of teaching within the context of schools, um, but actually understanding how games can affect our brains and sort of the neuroplasticity that's involved there. Um, so I got involved in that research institution at Indiana University Bloomington. We moved over and actually started the first private-public partnership of, at a university of a game studio focused on educational gaming when we moved to Arizona State University. Um, we founded this uh, institute that was called the um, Center for Games and Impact. Uh, Eline Media, where I'm at now... Uh, became interested in that studio and the kind of the work that we're doing. And they've always had kind of this impact games vibe, uh, but from a commercial sector perspective. Um, so I hopped over to Eli media when we started collaborating together. Um, and then from there broke out into the commercial gaming sector, but still commercial gaming primarily through the lens of how it can sort of reach out and impact our everyday lives. Wow. That's, that's a, yeah, that's, 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 there's a, a goal. And uh, something that people don't really understand, that all mediums, regardless of their form, I know you know this, but many people don't, do have an impact on uh, how we think and what we do. I mean, as someone who consumed a lot of, and consumes to this day, a lot of um, literature, um, I can definitely know that uh, some of my thoughts and opinions about the world and the, 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 the thing we live in, that is the universe, uh, has been formed by some of the views and ideas and concepts uh, described in those in those those tomes so yeah i can definitely understand where you're coming from at least try to anyway i didn't study it but i can understand it if you get my meaning um so last uh eric how did you make your start involved yeah with the so video game creation yeah so um my story is a little bit different i uh you know i come from the marketing side so i've always been passionate about social media, community building, marketing, things like that. And so uh, prior to this, I was doing a lot of community building work for brands, which also included video game brands like uh, GameStop, Activision, companies like that. And so um, that, that led me here to kind of working in-house in the video game industry, which has been tremendously exciting. And, uh, you know, especially with such a community-focused game, uh, I'm very excited to be here. 
Yeah, um, it, it seems to be built around the concept of a collective hive mind without, um, you know, uh, too much, um, well, overwhelming the player by that very fact. But we'll come to that later. Let's keep our powder dry for the moment. But yes, thanks for, for, for dripping that little, little seed there. I like that. <laughs> thanks, Eric. Um, okay. All, all very broad backgrounds and wonderful stuff. That's what makes companies. They all come from different, different places, which is great. Uh, but you all have a common goal, which is making the endless mission a success, which it is. Um, so this here's question number three. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Uh, this this one every time I ask it, it's just I, uh, it's just so difficult to actually put it into without actually going. What is he talking about? So this is a for all three of you to actually answer as a collective. I'm asking you as representatives of Eli Media, not not as so because as a creative force, which you are, what do you believe is your biggest influences or are your biggest influences? Biggest influences as in the team or as, as So again, it's really about um, you are creating things. Therefore, you must be influenced by something uh, or things uh, to actually, which then leads to what you eventually create, whether you like it or not, whether it's conscious or subconsciously. I just would like to know, as creators, what do you believe is the thing you find yourself orbiting or being drawn to more than anything else? And it can be a collection of things. It could be concepts, ideas, people, anything. But it's just an indication of what, what gets you ticking, what gets you, not ticking, but uh, excited. And Oh, yes, it's, just, it's kind of around, surrounded by that concept. What's the things that really drives you, really? Well, you were not lying about this being a difficult question. <laughs> Prepare for question number three. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to to answer and just narrow down into one. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, some things that are influence. Uh, you know, my background. I I was born and raised in Colombia, so I have a very different perspective from a lot of my 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 peers and my colleagues here. And even like growing up, uh, when it comes to having a connection with technology, it was very different. Um, you you know, back then access to technology was was not how it is right now that with internet everything is pretty much instantaneous so i kind of have to grow into into it um so that influenced me a lot in the decisions that we make uh, here as a team or what i brought into the team because i think accessibility is always at the top of my mind on how we can make uh designs and tools accessible because, um, you know, at the end of the day, whoever is experiencing the endless mission, for example, is going to have a very different and diverse background. So how can we really reach out that and think about an accessible design? Yeah, that's it's definitely something. Yeah, we'll come on to that later because it's one of my questions uh, that's related to that. But uh, what, about, what about you, Brenda? What do you think uh, is Eline's uh, sort of? influence what's the thing that that uh, keeps the uh, motor running so to speak yeah so at least for my perspective on that the kinds of things i'm interested in is 
what causes people to create and come at creation from a sense of play. So when I think about the inspirations for that, um, some of that exists within the gaming universe. Um, growing up, I was always interested in games that felt like had an element of creative expression to it. Whether it was things like Neverwinter Nights, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends in school, like creating entire fantasy worlds, even it was just in our imaginations based in our heads. Um, certainly the contemporary sort of revolution of the Minecraft generation has been inspiring to watch uh, because I think gaming audiences have begun begun to assume that the ability to sort of reach out and shape their worlds is just an inherent part of their play experience. And you've seen how something like Minecraft coming around and really changing the relationship between players and the contract that they make with the game designers has changed uh, and influenced modern day things like Fortnite, um, even having a creative element combined with a more traditional action mechanic. Um, and then I see outside of the gaming world as well. Uh, I've certainly been inspired by things like first robotics competitions, um, things that are asking people to, even at a young age, really try to transform the world around them, come up with all of the unique lenses that they take on their perspective, their life experiences in the world. And it's part of the reason why I'm so excited to push game creation as another element of that because i think everybody has sort of a unique lens to offer to it yeah i can definitely understand with all the guests i've had on the show uh all of them have been making stuff and here you are objectively looking at it to ask uh, well why and this question is related to that you know the, the, the drive to create things and we all know the, I'm going to say rather glib, and I've said it before on the show, apologies, but uh, there's only six stories, apparently. There's only six. Um, there's variations on the theme, some intertwined with others, but ultimately there's only six. So why do we keep making them? It's because we love stories, we're human beings, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all loads of reasons. Um, but uh, no, yeah, it's, there's definitely shows in what you've made do of Endless Missions. So, um, and Eric, what do you think? the thing that drives uh, Eli Media to do it, do what it does? Yeah, so at least from my perspective, a lot of it has to do with shared experiences and kind of forming memories and collaborating together. You know, I look back at kind of my, you know, lifetime of playing games and the, the friendships and the kind of memories that I've created around games. You know, that's something I try to kind of bring to the table with uh, everything from the experiences that we're creating and the conversations that we're trying to foster among players and you know within the community so you know looking at it from a, a, a way to, to bring people together and you know um, it'll have everyone kind of lean in and kind of uh, I don't know like, you know work together I guess is probably the, the best way and then you know in as many and you know as as many ways as possible um, yeah no, you know, I, I, bring bringing everyone together yeah, that's it. No, that's it. It's great. Because one of my earliest experiences of that, I'm going to share this with him. Sorry, I'm going to take a drink to the show because I'm going to mention World of Warcraft here. I'm going to do it anyway. But still remember taking down the Farian, me and 39 other people. So that was back in the day when it was 40 man raids, not 25. Mm -hmm. And uh, just took him down. And it was like, how, how? Because that, that, that fight was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it was just absurd. And uh, but it's a dance basically. You just had to 
It was a very carefully, ridiculously choreographed dance that if you... If one, one piece, just one piece was slightly out, everything else fell to pieces. And we managed to pull together and work together as a team for that one brief moment. <laughs> and uh, that was a thing. It was a thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's... I can really understand what you're talking about. Bringing... The joy of bringing people together and working as a, as a, as a you know, as a collective... Uh, it's so powerful to see when it comes through what we can be achieved with, when you're working as a group as as a for a common goal. It's it's terrifying in some regards. Maybe probably a bad word, but uh, you know what I mean. It's it's impressive, very it impressive. And I, and I say this a lot, but you know, going to kind of PAX East and the different shows and watching people play the game and their their reactions to things is. I would say one of the biggest reasons why I personally do what I do. Just seeing the magic happen, kind of in in real time is just uh it's just inspiring in so many different ways you know yeah. that i'm ready to run home and tell everyone kind of about what we saw and you know how how we can continue to improve and you know build and kind of create a bigger and better experience absolutely i mean uh you, i know you went to rest this year i love rest because a i'm living in london and b it's it's rest it's just the most chilled out expo i've ever been to it's, the, it is. You know. it's, a, it's so it's so nice like you really get to have great conversations with people there it's fantastic yeah and this is like when you describe it, people they go can i go because like, right. <laughs> it's like there's a there's a really nice curry house down the road oh stop it <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it's it's it is a lovely show but the reason i bring that up uh, is because there's the fun thing about egx and rest has is the left field collection I'm not sure if you saw that there, but that was just basically a bunch of games people made for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, that's it. The, you don't ask them to like, oh, is it? Is it? Is it you know, how, how are they going to sell this? Like, sell it. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be. It's a probably the, the concept of it. Just like it's just like no. Look at it. And but it's just you just enjoy it for what it is, and it's just the the sheer just boldness of just making something for the sake of it is wonderful and i think i think that's something that our industry is kind of growing into is awareness that is in fact acceptable um probably because it's technology is a core element of it probably because of team size and certainly the cost of games i think we got an early start with an assumption of kind of the the capitalist contract of game making that Mm -hmm. the reason to make games is the reason that you make software or hollywood movies it's to sell copies um and as the tools for game making have been democratized and gotten out there and become more accessible. I think you're starting to see it more through a traditional art lens of, well, I'm making this because I want to express something in the world. Even if the audience for that expression is two people, it is still me putting something of my soul out in the world. And that is enough cause mm-hmm. for me to take on it. Yeah. Yes. And to see how even museums are taking games now as part of their mm-hmm. permanent collections and now there is more you know they're changing a little bit the mental shift of this is also you know a piece of art that can be consumed you know by a smaller audience yeah and i do find i mean i hate to bring up differences like this but it's it's a fascinating piece of our history the medium's history for many 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 years up until the playstation era um Japan, Europe, and America were going completely different ways. They weren't synergized at all. 
They were, we were all, these are the major regions. I know there's many other regions like Russia and, and South America. I grant you that. And they were doing their own thing too. But they were doing their own thing. And the reason I bring this up is that in, the, in the Europe, speaking as a European, of course, we held on to our computers for a very long time. I know you guys know this now, but, you know, we didn't have the NES, really. It came, but it, when it arrived, it was really expensive and everything ran 15% slower. So why? Because <laughs> <laughs> of PAL. So, and right. we had these black borders everywhere. It's horrible. Um, uh, yeah, go, go check out Wave Race, or PAL version on N64. It's horrific. Anyway, <laughs> um, you would recognize the game. Like, what, what is this? But the reason I bring this up is because that gave birth to an extraordinary burgeoning and uh, very long-living and still to this day exists uh, video game commu- development community in the UK because we didn't have consoles. We had full-blown computers. Yeah. So yeah. we could actually play games and then stop playing them and actually make do, <laughs> make them because there was a dirty great keyboard in the middle of this plastic box they were using. And and it's just it's a, it, that... For me, I mean, even back then, I'm talking about 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, they were making games like what you just described, just for the sake of it. <laughs> and that sort of history has been has kept with us. And I think that's why in the UK we have that left-field collection. I think that's where it comes from. That's that spirit of that endeavour, that personal endeavour, just to make stuff for the sake of it. It's just something... Uh, um, it's 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 something to be celebrated, and I know with, the reason I bring it up is entirely relevant because I believe when Endless Mission gets even broader audience, although it's really kicked off and started, it's great. You're going to get a lot of that, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, next question then, which is the relevant. I mean, it sort of like flows into each other. This one's also difficult, not because it's hard, it's because you possibly don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, in that, here we go, ready, brace yourselves, and this is to all three of you, and you're just taking turns to, to answer. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? So I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. Yes. But, uh, that <laughs> I'm doing it because I, it, I'm inspired not just by the, the, the work that they do, but also by the story behind it and is a Colombian developer. You know, when I left Colombia some years ago, the gaming industry was pretty much not in, not existent. And in the past years, it was just developed and grow so much. And, uh, I've been so inspired by, by this, this, uh, person whose name is Carlos Rocha. I mean, he's put her, his heart and soul into just, believing that a small developer from a small country in South America can really go out there and be, you know, competing and being heard with being companies like Nintendo. Um, so I admire him from a creative, from a, uh, you know, entrepreneurship uh, and and just for the quality of work. He's, he's managed to take, um, I would say, um, aspects from our culture in Colombia and just embedded in, in the designs that he make and visually, uh, is so, uh, like outstanding. And it almost like make me like goosebumps because I, I, I can't believe that, you know, when you really put your heart and soul into something, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, you're, 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 
you know, your work is just going to show. So, um, I've been following him for a couple of years, and right now he's he's getting a lot of attention in one of the uh, new games that he is is working on. It's a Japanese RPG that's called Chris Tales or Chris Tales, if you say it in English. Uh, so I will I will recommend anyone to go take a look at it. His game is going to be coming to the Switch pretty soon next year, um, and and just admire the quality of um, the visual style and, and story, and very unique game mechanics when you play with time and you can go back and forth, and that is uh, key in, in in the decisions that you make. Wow, I mean JRPGs people uh, don't understand. I know you guys do, but. Uh lay people or people who don't make games uh, the problem with them, I say problem how can I put it, difficulty in making them is the content it's the mountain of content that you have to make and you have to keep it engaging from beginning, middle to end you know, it's not like a 4X where you can possibly get away with the mid game trading mm-hmm. off a bit because that's what happens in 4X games right, am I right? <laughs> as it happens, you can reach a, a zenith in your empire building going, oh you don't know what Kind of boring now. I'm just, I'm just, this this game's reduced to a clicker. Yeah. <laughs> Move um, the stacks around. You're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then eventually, oh look, something's exploded. There you go. Now it's entertaining. <laughs> That's what they do. That's what they do. What else can they do? But the JRPGs, as much as I adore them, and I did play uh, my last one. I can finish with Final. Uh, uh, sorry, not Final Fantasy. It was no. It was Dragon Quest Eleven. That was the last one mm. I finished. Um, on a PS4, not the Switch. It was when it came out on the PS4. Um, and uh, that was fun. Um, but yeah, I just marvelled at how much content they had. The I skipped as well. Didn't see all of it because, you know, it's only so much time one can give to these games. And like, wow. And so, uh, yeah. Um, my, yeah. Kudos to anyone who tries to make those. So, yeah. Definitely be checking that out. I'm assuming it comes out early next year or something or. Yes, and it, uh, it's out right now. I believe you can, you can play it on Steam. Oh, right. Okay. I should get him on the show. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, sort contact details. So, uh, Brendan, who, anyone, any particular company or person you think, yeah, you, you carry on doing your thing. You're awesome. Oh, goodness. I could spend hours <laughs> on this subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'll, I'll do a little bit of cop-out and identify a couple of inspirations at like different stages. I mean, certainly growing up the work of like Sakaguchi at square was highly influential since we're on the subject of JRPGs. Um, that craft that you were mentioning of being able to sustain dozens of hours of experience and keep it engaging because you have not just a thoughtful story that you want to tell, but a world that, that story takes place in and a set of mechanics that glean off that world building. So uh, one of the highlights of my youth was Chrono Trigger. I just remember like how resonant of an influence that had um, really opening this world of other worlds that games could offer. Um, so I admired his work growing up. Um, contemporaneously, I look at people who are pushing the boundaries of storytelling in non-traditional genres. Um, People like Corey Balrog, um, I thought The Last God of War was absolutely brilliant um, from start to end, the conception of where they could push a franchise that had established a pretty 
firm identity and really kind of reinvent that through the lens, not just of let's push the bounds of storytelling, but really the influence that was brought in from uh, the personal growth that he had had in his life, um, that approach to fatherhood that uh, just got sunk into the DNA of that game. Um, and then um, in terms of like development studios, uh, certainly I admire studios that really with each project um, try to even shake some of the identity they had established with their previous games and do something that feels bold and new each time they take a swing at it. I think of uh, studios like Klee Entertainment, for example. Um, I think they're a good category of that because if you look at the differences between the kind of survival open world game of Don't Starve, uh, evolving into sort of stealth tactics with Invisible Incorporated. I just, the amount of guts that it takes to spend years on craft building a game, learn these skills and techniques of how to excel at that, and then be willing to take a step back, reinvent the wheel, and try something totally new and bold, and not just pursue the easy sequel or the spiritual successor. Um, I just think that takes an incredible amount of guts, and I admire anybody that tries it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Excellent answer. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we've had other guests on. I remember when you talk about um, the idea of um, uh, reinventing or, or, or describing or creating something brand new, and yet you have uh, another group who actually excel in, in in incrementing something or building off of something or having a like a, a, an ethos. I think I'm talking about Super Giant Games. As the, yeah, the group they do something incredible. They. That's, that's like a, they're almost like a band, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they have a sound, but they don't. They have a, a thing. So it's great. All right. Uh, and then, Eric, what, what have you got for us? Yeah. So kind of, I, I would say, early on for me, um, someone I really admire is, of course, Miyamoto and the early work that he did with Mario just for really showing me and really the world kind of what video games could be especially on like a home console i thought it was just amazing you know just mm-hmm. the amount of precision platforming and just really that was kind of my first exposure to to the craft i would say at that point and then once i started getting into pc gaming i you know there there isn't really a story to speak of with like mario and everything that's that is a pure mechanics based game playing like the king's quest series like roberta williams and games like that of okay I can really tell an elaborate, fascinating kind of fantasy or other, any kind of story, um, you know, throughout the game. And it kind of, you know, you make choices and kind of interact and really the world building aspect of it, I thought was really cool. So King's Quest VI specifically, which, you know, came with my PC when I was young, was very, very formative about the kind of the power of storytelling. And then I would say most recently, uh, CD Projekt Red with The Witcher 3 was just like near and dear to my heart, probably the only game to actually dethrone super Mario world on my all time list. Like I just, that game blew me away. So, wow. Did you play the other two? I didn't, but I've always meant to go back. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first one is, yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's of its time though, but it's good. Yeah. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Combat's really weird though. Anyway, <laughs> just a warning. Um, but uh, no, good answer. Good answer. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I, I, as someone who we didn't really like, I said I didn't really grow up with uh, Nintendo for you know, reasons I explained earlier. When I, you know, I, I encountered it in my later years, which is both a negative and a positive. But the positive is I see I appreciate it for what they are, and they are exceptionally good. 
platformers. I know it's an understatement, you know, statement being obvious, but the reasons why they're very good, and I know you understand it, and you're going to have to understand it when making platformers for in this mission, is that it's about precision, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you seen platformers they have momentum, but the momentum is so bad that every platform looks like it's covered in grease? <laughs> Well, what is- Celeste recently was probably the most precise and amazing platforming game I've played recently. That was the tightest platforming controls I've experienced in modern memory. So, yeah. big shout out there, too. Yeah, yeah. Right, last question. I'm required to ask. Last question of the first half, I listen to Ed. Uh, but I'm required to ask this because this, this is a video game podcast, so we've got to talk about this stuff. What are you playing right now? The Endless Mission. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you right. can't do that. It's, I've got it in brackets, other than the game you're working on. See? It says well, it here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly speaking, we launched last week. Uh-huh. There haven't re- been really much time to do Understand. that. Understand. Yeah. There is a game that I have on my queue that's called Florence. And <laughs> I've been willing to uh, wanting to to play it but uh the last few weeks and they're being a little bit hectic <laughs> that's cool i mean we've actually stretched it saying what we're playing right now or are planning to because that works well that works yeah. too sure so yeah that, that that works for me is it florians is it yeah florence yeah florence okay all right um yeah well brendan you got anything playing at the moment like you know you can do threes if you like i don't mind <laughs> <laughs> I, I managed to play some games in the uh, 25th and 26th hours of the day. Um, so right now I'm playing through Death Stranding, uh, which always opens up the weird parts of his brain and mm-hmm. exposes it to the world. And I just absolutely love and embrace the weirdness of it. Um, being bold enough to try to really transform how traversals a mechanic can stay engaging for 30, 40 hours is a fascinating experiment, but more resonating for me for that game is the sense of the asynchronous community building that is a part of that, where you can sort of reach out and shape the world. And although you don't see the other players, there's a very real sense of their presence there. I think that's brilliant. I, really encourage other developers to take a lens of that and the other experiments that have been done on non-multiplayer asymmetrical sort of reaching out and building a community in games. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something I love seeing new visions for. Um, and I think the game is brilliant in its experiment there. Yeah, the whole community thing is very, uh, I'm going to say it's very Demon Souls-like in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to refer to the first one as not me being elitist this is the one who first encountered it that's why I remember it I sort of latch on to that like what's that message someone wrote that <laughs> watch out for the thing really uh. <laughs> and then to sort of like I'm fascinated by this asymmetric sort of like breadcrumb like uh, leaving of stuff and uh, I know that's what Death Stranding does yeah yeah he's, he's come a long way since Penguin Adventures that's for sure yeah that was his first game, by the way, everyone knows. Yeah. Go get it. It's great. It's on the MSX. It's brilliant. Anyway, it is, actually. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and uh, so, Eric, what are you distracting yourself with when you really should be looking at social media? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been playing a lot of my Switch recently, so <clears throat> I've never played uh, Link's Awakening back when it came out on Game Boy forever ago. And the uh, kind of reimagining and the art style that they've done with a 
you know, with a remaster and kind of re, I guess the modernizing of it on Switch has been amazing. So I love that. I, I kind of came into Zelda games later in my life, which has been very nice uh, to kind of enjoy that. Um, and then I'm also just recently started playing Baba is You. I saw a lot of people talking about how great that game was, and I'm just scratching the surface, but it's already just adorable and fascinating, and I'm really starting to sink my teeth uh, with that one. Yeah. What an awesome game that is. I remember encountering that at EGX, I think it was, and like, some friend of mine said, Chris, who's, Chris, you're a breathless line. You've got to play this. You've got to drag me over to the Nintendo booth. <laughs> and, uh, you, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's just—it's got Boolean logic in a game, but you know, <laughs> no one calls it that because Boolean logic is this horrible maths thing which no one can get their head around unless they're a programmer. <laughs> and it's just it made it into a game. Yeah. <laughs> if and or else, really? Well, you you, like, you get you pitch that game to someone. You get out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> but now. It's it's a marvel. I've been trying to get him on the show for ages. It's a busy person, but anyway, I, I will continue to try because words need to be said. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah. Great. Great. Great answers, all of you. Thank you very much for that. But uh, we're now going to get to the meat and potatoes of the show, which is we're going to delve deep into the endless mission. question isn't a real question it's a request we can't talk about this this being the endless mission until we know what it is so rather than me trying to describe what it is because you'll just go no that's not it chris it's rubbish um you have a go so any one of you or all three of you i don't mind what can you describe what is endless mission or the endless mission i should say yeah so it is a creation sandbox game uh and it is taking the meta objective of being a game about making video games. Um, so everything in the Endless Mission we have designed um, through the lens of both helping somebody unlock their creativity and not just answer the question of how I can make something with that creativity, uh, but also help provide the why I want to create something with that 
uh, creativity. Because there is the acknowledgement of the high level of learning curve that's associated with using technology to craft worlds, craft narratives, craft experiences in game making that all of us went through as game creators when we were learning how to do that. Um, we wanted to not just make a tool to make that more accessible, um, but to really position activities, games, a world, a narrative, um, that every step along the way you could peel back the curtain and say, well, how does this work? Um, why is this built this way? And there to be a satisfying answer for that. Um, so we've crafted not just a tool set that allows you to create games within this world, um, but also a narrative that invites you into that game creation that starts provoking some of those questions of why. Um, a series of mechanics that the player has access to that allow them to peel back that curtain to kind of not just create and craft with tools, but to inspect and understand as well as kind of your first step along the way. So you get to play a variety of game genres and then use some inspection tools that we call lenses to sort of look at an object and kind of tinker like, how does this work? What happens if I just tinker around the edges? How does that change my game experience? Um, and we've crafted an adventure and a story that uh, invites you into that world. Couldn't put it better myself. Well done, sir. <laughs> but uh, no, please don't think I'll be impressionizing on that. But I uh, know you've sort of had to because it's so hard to describe what the endless mission really is. Because it can be what you whatever you make it, which is a glib response. It doesn't help anything. <laughs> uh, and uh, but no, I think the key word there is narrative and we're going to talk about that in a bit but before we do i'm not sure who can answer this again these are questions these are four questions now and i'm not sure which one of you is going to answer it let's try and figure it out amongst ourselves um, first one is this um with any design and development tool which is kind of what endless mission is but it's more to it than that i know that um, but the interface has to be easy to use and understand out of all the tools and aspects of uh, things you've developed, which has been the most challenging to create and why? Hmm. Yeah, I'll kind of, I can give a, again, a little bit of a cop-out answer there um, because we've constantly seen the Endless Mission as approaching the problem of game creation from two ends of a spectrum simultaneously. On one end, there's an audience, um, typically in the development vernacular, you call them power users. Um, but it's, it's people that already have the disposition unlocked within them of, I want to be a game creator, I want to do this, I'm willing to uh, climb over a hurdle, watch tutorials, things like that to get acclimated. Um, but I need a tool set that is ready at my skill level that I can pursue to actually successfully create and express my creativity. Um, on that, we have the full-on editor side of things where you have a very um, Unity 3D game engine-like interface. Uh, and in fact, one of our goals is that you can start in that editor experience and those skills transfer over if you want to download a professional engine like Unity and continue your game creation journey and go off, become a developer yourself. Um, so finding the right level of 
complexity to expose, but accessible interfaces that where we modify what, um, say, Unity has on offer um, to make it a little bit easier for those power users of our audience to create. Um, certainly, that was a challenge. We started with the technology and the goal of anything that you could do in Unity, you could do in the Endless Mission. Um, and that requires a pretty hefty set of technological achievement to have that work in a runtime game environment as opposed to something that had to be compiled and is a separate software program and you can import it in, which is the standard that most sandbox games approach this. Um, the other side of that spectrum we were tacking, tackling simultaneous is for the polar opposite audience. It, it's the people that don't know yet see themselves as having the disposition to be a game creator who would find interfaces like that terribly intimidating. Um, the idea of starting from a blank slate, terribly intimidating. Um, and for them, uh, the effort into the inspection mechanics, again, not so much the how, but the why, um, driving toward the curiosity of while I'm playing a game, if I start asking questions about why this game is the way that it is and how it became that way, um, a tool where I can press a button and then start seeing the world in a different way. If I'm curious about the physics of the world, I can put on a physics lens and see some properties about that um, that start informing an appreciation for what's really going on behind the scenes of games was something we spent dozens and dozens of iterations on um, to try to nail that experience correctly. Yeah, mm. and I would add that, that most recently, as we observe our closed beta audience, Another accessibility point that we've been spending time and trying to figure out is actually the creation, the creation process. And what can we do to really, you know, uh, take players that for the first time are pulling those layers and are confronted with an empty space, right? So what can we do in between so you're not just face with an empty space and I'm like, what should I do right now? Should I bring an avatar or should I start building out my scene? You know, uh, so we were, we were testing uh, something that is called templates where we're giving you just the basics of what a platformer is or an RTS. So to get you started and try to get that creative process and uh, eliminate a little bit of what it would be like a, a writer's block where, you, you know, don't worry about all the basic pieces. Just take it from here and make it your own. Yeah. Uh, it's, I can, this is why I crafted that question, is to try to understand. You're right. You've got two extreme ends of, of the audience. Both of them have expectations <laughs> that yeah. you have to meet. And I think the one, the other half of the audience is the one. So, I mean, I'm kind of... I can code, but I only know like C plus plus and stuff like that. I don't really, so um, so that's that's one side, and then the other side, like fascinated by UIs and actually making it easier to create concepts rather than you know to see if they work before then plowing on and doing something more detailed. Um, but um, yeah, creating a, a usable um, and accessible tool um, is no mean feat. So well done for that because you have, I believe, achieved that. Speaking of uh, achieving things with um, accessibility, I want to talk about the narrative mm -hmm. that runs through the Endless Mission, which we've always spoken about. So let's just get into this now. So the Endless Mission, the, as a player, you know, following a narrative, if they say choose, generally, and um, 
they kind of find themselves creating things before they realise it, rather than, you know, uh, just ploughing on ahead and 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 uh, going through each game. They realise that oh, in order to achieve or progress in any way, they're going to have to dabble. They're going to have to manipulate. They're going to have to do things to the world that they're experiencing, rather than being constrained by it. They're going to have to do things. And um, my query is that. As laudable than that concept is, how have you found creating a story around the concept of the environment the player is in is changing? And that, you know, by its, it's, it's a constant moving target. So I find it um, remarkable that you've managed to make a good narrative on the basis that they will change the player, changes the world that they're in, if you get my meaning. How have you found that? What have you done to plot that through to make sure it doesn't unravel? Yeah, so part of that was finding the right um, level of meta (laughs) by which to place that narrative experience. Um, Because it was important for us when we were crafting the characters of this world and when you meet somebody like Ada, who kind of is positioned as your guide through the world, but not in a traditional like teacherly stance, but you're going on this adventure with her. Um, we wanted to position that as somebody that was also a co-participant in this creation process with you. So you are not entering a world that starts static and you are the singular change agent that is molding this world to your will, which is oftentimes sort of the more traditional gaming experience, right? That, that's the power fantasy of I am the one that enacts change in the world and otherwise it operates under its um, kind of its own static rule set. Uh, instead, we wanted to give you the feeling that you were a participant and you had the ability to shape elements of this world through your game creation, but that this sort of meta universe is all about a community of people joining in and doing that with you uh, cooperatively. So when you go on this adventure with Ada, she kind of exists at this meta narrative or this meta contextual layer where she acknowledges your game-making progress and uh, the tools and capabilities that you have and is actually a participant in it. Um, One of your first experiences when you're going through the uh, onboarding for the game is you actually get to play a game that uh, is narratively positioned as Ada made this game. Um, And you're kind of introduced to these tools through a little bit of vulnerability (laughs) that she's providing with the, hey, I have something that I created. I want you to check this out. Um, And any time as a designer that you're offering an experience that you created out to the open world for other people to participate in, play, critique, um, that is a inherently little bit of a vulnerable moment. Um, And then as you grow in this adventure, you do go inside these uh, sort of core genre games that we've created. And each one of those has its own independent world and narrative as well. Um, So we kind of position the narrative that these characters within these games exist almost kind of Wreck-It Ralph style, like they're in in their own independent universe. They have their own agendas, their own ideas. Um, And it's been really fun and somewhat playful to experiment with the, well, how do RTS characters view 
their own universe where they're used to being commanded by, um, in the game we make this fun reference, to the, the great guiding arrow in the sky. Um, and what happens when that great air, guiding arrow in the sky is not actually present and it's gone away and they have to make some choices on their own um, and live in the society where, you know, warfare is normally the constant, but is it really when the game isn't running? Um, so there's some fourth wall breaking that we do within the context of those games as well. Um, so you're constantly going back and forth in our narrative between this meta layer where we kind of acknowledge the game making powers and this internal internal layer with these different game genres where the narrative of those characters is a little bit more personalized. So you're there to solve specific problems. You have tremendous flexibility in how you solve those problems because of your ability to reach into game code. Um, but I think keeping it in that playful space where we're willing to um, move between those different levels is really ultimately how we reconcile your ability to shape these worlds and not, um, as you put it, derail the narrative and have it, uh, be complete chaos yeah and that's uh, the in jokes are really good like yeah what happens when the people driving the car goes away like Mm -hmm. what what do they do i don't know chill out yeah do some some, uh sunbathing i don't know to maybe optimize tune the cars up maybe maybe i don't know strange (laughs) so no it's really good stuff it's very clever and it made me smile and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Also, the fact that it before you because a lot of people were put off by creating stuff. They just don't want it. Just, like, just play the game, damn it! And then they realise actually no, this is quite fun. Until actually you know, given that that nudge, they won't do it. It's just human nature for some people. So, um, third question then: the creative engine running underneath Endless Mission is a very comprehensive. Is very comprehensive, and uh, very. It's also player driven. Um, I just want to ask, how are you doing with the curation of this? How are you making sure that things that are put up on the server and things are, how can I put it, appropriate? <laughs> so what are you doing with that? I think this is a question to Eric, I suspect. Um, I'll take that one. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit... Um, we have a big responsibility to our community. So from the beginning, you know, uh, Eric and uh, has uh, really think through a set of guidelines that we really want the community to embrace and engage. And when they come to the endless mission to follow those. But in addition to that, uh, we have, you know, in the background, some um, tools that allow us to have some automated uh, moderation that will flag if there is any inappropriate content that is that is being posted. But you know we we are in a in a good place when it comes to what do we want our community to be, and really shaping the kind of rules for that. You know we're all open for you know embracing the creative process and understanding that every player is different. But there is a basic set of rules when it comes to. Um, you know, being respectful from others, for others, and really uh, posting content that is only going to uh, allow for a vibrant community as opposed to create tensions and uh, divides between our creators. Yeah. It's a, it's a question I had to ask, because someone else is going to anyway. I'm sure you had it asked before, it sounds like. But it's, uh, you know, when you're creating something that is 
driven by a community like that, one has to address it. Um, I always marvel also at the 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 toxic communities of certain mobas. We won't mention who they are, what they are, and it's just like they do realise that you know they're especially vociferous or, or aggressive against people, new players. And I'm thinking, without them, your game will die. Do you understand that? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Can you comprehend? You were once them. So why are you... I've I've never understood it. I know you studied it more than I have, but I've never understood the animosity against people who haven't played before. Surely you'd want them to... I don't understand. But it still exists. It's this elitism. It clicks in very, very quickly. Very quickly. And uh, I find it quite remarkable how it happens. And I'm just, you know, you're going to have to watch out for it. I know you know that, but there's going to be um, there's going to be this tear thing that clicks in, whether you like it or not. And you have to do something about it because you know, your every game, every every game thrives on its audience, especially ones like uh, uh, the Endless Mission. And right. if it becomes, you know, a schism appears purely on the basis that one person's been playing it longer than the other person. It's just it, that can't that can't. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and, and yeah. we want it to be a safe space, you know, yeah. Where, yeah. where 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 you they come, uh, you know, where players feel free to, you know, polish their games, get get critical feedback because part of the creation process is sharing it and having others just, uh, you know, get their feedback, make it better. So we we want, uh, you know, to be a safe environment where where it's so, you know, we we know there is a lot of work ahead of us, but. Um, is what will make or, or, or break the game, uh, having a, 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 a healthy community. And, yeah. and so, yeah. so much attention is happening in the industry to this particular issue. And like you mentioned, the toxicity in competitive esports, certainly yeah. attention being spent in that space. Um, I mean, what we found historically, because we have run some community games before, um, there's another game-making product that was more education-focused, GameStar Mechanic, um, that we've run now for nearly a decade. Um, over a decade. Over actually. a decade, yeah. Uh, and, and part of that is just setting the expectations mm-hmm. up front, which I think a little bit with, um, say, Riot, for example, uh, I, I think they had to catch up to what expectation they wanted to set, uh, because it wasn't up front. Um, and being clear with your community about those expectations are important. So in a sandbox creation game like the Endless Mission, there's this additional layer on top of just setting the standard of basic, hey, this is a safe, respectful place. Um, we want to be respectful of other people within this place of the artistic contributions, too. Because anytime you get into discussions of what is acceptable art, um, there are many, many layers of nuance, um, somewhat self-obviously, that come into that level of conversation. And you know, debates about what is offensive art versus what is uh, merely creative expression uh, is going to be a center focal point of part of this community. And one of the things that we're attractive about something like early access as well of whether we were in full release or not, we would be having this conversation with the community, but especially in that early access with the vibe that we want to extend out to the community and say, be a participant in this process. We're going to have this discussion together 
as developers and as players um, about what standards we want to set and what kind of community we want to co-create together. And that's really the lens that we look at it. It is a community we will craft in conjunction with our players, um, not a sort of set of standards or rules that are just purely driven from above and put down below. Yep. That's the best way to do it. So as long as you, people feel that they have empowerment, yeah. if, you, if you find that they are, they're like, oh, really? I can't put a picture of a chicken? No, because it has, like, it does it, it does, yeah, you could, it does, there's a bit of justification for, for the reasons that you're giving that, that yeah, it just can't pass. But while at the same time, giving them freedom to to make things uh, without, but long to understand that that freedom comes with responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So, last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but <laughs> here we are. Um, I've, I really, I what I really got impressed about when I was playing at EGX the uh, first time I encountered the endless mission um, was the the modular approach to the world. It's ingenious, of course. How else do you introduce people to the concept of the endless mission? Is you break it up into manageable chunks? Uh, at least that's how I perceived it. It may have not been intentional, but that's how I saw that you presenting this extraordinary world that you created, and indeed what the players will create. What other measures have you put in place in the in the, in the endless mission to, to prevent the player from becoming overwhelmed with choice? Yeah, so choice paralysis certainly is a. Uh, <laughs> pretty severe issue in a game where you're framing it as you can build literally anything you can play literally anything mm-hmm. um part of the technique that we use to get around that is by putting actually a lot of attention onto that first time user experience when a player first opens up the game what are they presented with um there's been lively debate <laughs> amongst mm-hmm. the development team about how much to lean into the sandbox nature. Um, so imagine a first-time user experience that just basically presented a menu options of here are all the different parts of the game. You can play genre games. You can set up a multiplayer match. You can go into the content portal and download somebody else's game. You can go straight into the editor and start building your own game. Here's templates. Here's a blank slate. Um, and that would certainly be a sandbox approach to it. We have no particular preferences about what part of the experience you start with. Uh, go off and do your own thing. Um, and then on the other side of that is a crafted first-time user experience that sets a tone, a story, a world to the endless mission um, that still introduces you to the different pieces. Um, so in our first-time user experience, in addition to playing um, Ada's game, a situated as a user, generated game you get to experience sort of those inspection tools and those hacking tools that allow you to modify pieces of the game um, and we also encourage you to go try out downloading somebody's games from the content portal one of these highlighted games and see what that's like try out one of our core genre games and try out what that's like and from there, after you get through that first-time user experience, a lot of it is about crafting these experiences within the community that guide players' attention based on the kind of disposition that they have. So if you want to play games and you're in this kind of play mindset, we want to offer experiences within the Endless Mission that encourages you without a lot of, well, there's 
hundreds of experiences I could play, where do I even begin? Um, just get started having a fun experience. Um, so everything from a hall of celebrations that highlights the best of community games that we continuously curate and going to rotate games throughout. Um, that's our way as uh, Elon media to kind of signpost, Hey, here are new fun experiences. We think you should check out right now in this moment. Um, sort of future ideas um, that we speculated adding to the endless mission include things like a kind of randomizer function of, well, I just want to play a unique game experience right now when I enter this gate or when I press this button, serve me up a new game to play. From a creation perspective, things like our rotating design challenges are oriented to that. Um, so rather than just start a blank slate, you can create literally anything, you have access to that at any time, but you can also participate in our sort of design challenge of the week where we are providing you a, some kind of starting point, whether it's a template, a game that's half made but partially broken that your job is to repair it, um, Iron Chef style, here's a box of ingredients and here's a theme to build a game around. Um, there's techniques like that that we're using to guide you into the experience so that every time you log on to the Endless Mission, there's a bit of signposting on here's something new to check out that I can get started with right away. Yeah, that covers it. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, you're right, and that's what I've wanted to draw out from you. And I really appreciate that that you actually did that. That it explained all the thought processes. And I'm not surprised that 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 you, you you as a team struggled with this concept because you're all creators, so you all think, well, surely everyone thinks like this, right? Surely mm -hmm. I was okay with a bunch of menus. I, I do this every day with my work. What's the problem? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the key there is that there there aren't creators are different from each other. There's not just like if you're a creator, you're in this box, and this is how your mind works. Like there's so much diversity when 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 you're creating things. So one thing that it might be important for me or a struggle that I have is very different from one that Brendan may have. So you know, this is something that probably is one of the areas that we we need to optimize and will continue to optimize as we uh, go through early access and hear what our players are facing um, because it, it is a challenge no matter where you see it um, and thinking about innovative ways into how can I play or how can I create or how editing is part of this loop that really gets me from just playing to being able to download a game and then open it in the editor and then trying to understand how it was built because that's also learning. Just looking at someone else, how you, 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 that person did it and how can I modify that and just start from it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, here we are in the end of this mission. By Eli Media. All I have to ask, where's the name come from? We like to ask this on the show. Where does the name of the developer come from? Do you know? Yeah. So okay. uh, have you been to New York? Uh, many, many, many years ago. Many years. Are you familiar with the E-Line? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So oh. the name, yeah. <laughs> the first office, ding, ding the first office um, was on the E-Line. Oh, there you the go. Subway plane. Yes, that's lovely. It's a bit like oh yeah, we've named a company Northern Line. Why? Because it's 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's yeah, funny. So that's great. It's it come from there, and then the E represents a lot of of, of additional taglines like education, entertainment. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's a great letter used <laughs> often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And many, many keyboards have a faded E on them. We all know why. Why it would have been a disaster. <laughs> yeah, because it would have been, why? Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, Endless Mission, it's out on Windows PC, is that right? Uh, that's right. That is yes. correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Early access. And uh, early access. But uh, and again, congratulations on it. It's uh, wish you the very, very best with it. And of course, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever next thing you have cooking in your heads right now. It will be sometime in the future. But we have had return guests. Um, but <laughs> you will be, you will be, of course, spared the first few questions because you've done that already. <laughs> uh, so it's like, yeah, we we'll just go straight to question four, the no, five, and then we go on. I've had it's happened. I've had guests go. If you want to know the answer to those, just go to the episode. <laughs> Discover that. But uh, no, um, again, thank you very much. We've wonderful guests, and uh, I do wish you the very best of luck uh, in 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 the in the mission and your future endeavours as well. So, so thank you. Thank you thank for you having much. us, Chris. <laughs>